Hey, it's Aaron and Jim back with another commission podcast. This time for the movie uh, Jackie Brown, mm-hmm. a Quentin Tarantino film that I had not seen up yeah. until uh, this moment of commissioning. Uh, special thanks, as always, goes out to the Community Commission. This was uh, multiple bald movers pooling their money together to do a commission podcast, including Stephen Sprague, Spencer H., Libby Ross, Dr. Edible, Selmouse, mm-hmm. Brooks Rittle, Betamaric, Coco, 2MC, No Brains, All Sadness, Martin Carlson, Eric Brown, RJ Joan, 2, and Keith A., uh, and they have a a bit of uh, a feedback to go along with it. Um, this you know, movie, of course, um, was the screenplay written by Quentin Tarantino. It's based on a movie, or I'm sorry, a book called Rum Punch by Elmore Leonard. Uh, and, of course, direct, directed by uh, Quentin Tarantino. Uh, I'm going to let Libby Ross kind of introduce us here. It says, Jackie Brown is one of my top fave top five favorite movies ever a classic that never gets dated because it's an elmore leonard story one that elmore has had a director who arguably does his best work ever uh quentin tarantino a script that celebrates leonard's language and plotting and an amazing amazing cast with perfect chemistry not a single dud in the bunch icing on the cake is the electric pairing of every man's man robert uh, forster with the magnificent pam greer perfection uh what did you think of this film uh, I actually think this might be my second favorite Tarantino film. Oh, shit. I thought you were going to say least favorite. No. Uh, it's no. going to be an awkward podcast. Uh, no, it was great. Um, it's better than Reservoir Dogs. It's much more polished, much oh, more yeah. refined style, uh, stylistically and visually even. Uh, I think it's great. Uh, and I had never seen it before, so I, first viewing. I agree, and I think that there is uh, – it's probably going to be something that improves with subsequent watches, but uh, I I really like it too. It's it's one of the least Tarantino feeling movies I've ever seen, and that probably has a lot with him adapting, mm-hmm. uh, you know, Elmore Leonard's novel rather than him just starting from a blank canvas. Yeah, it also seems like it's the most conventional, like it like like the hall. So the hallmarks of a Quentin Tarantino film are like sparkling over the top machine gun fired dialogue which i do feel like this movie has oh yeah but i also feel like that's an elmore leonard thing too mm-hmm. uh you know like if if if, if the, the works i'm familiar with is is you know the raylan givens stuff from justified um uh get shorty uh and and they kind of have the same thing the other th- uh hallmarks are like over-the-top violence, mm-hmm. which was extremely restrained in this movie. In fact, most of the deaths, except for, I guess, Robert De Niro's, happen entirely off-screen. Yeah, They're I mean... implied violence. In regards to, like, showing the violence, I think you're right. Um, the, the implied violence is there in spades. Certainly. Uh, and but, it is brutal and intense. But it's not like some dude getting his head splattered over <laughs> right. Jules' rear you know, window. It's, I mean, uh-huh. th- that's what I'm talking about. Like, it's not the final act of Inglorious Bastards. It's, it's, it's nothing like that. And, in fact, it mm-hmm. feels like maybe – do you think Quentin Tarantino wanted to do a conventional kind of Hollywood film that's a little bit more restrained, a little bit more, like, show his, like, just, just – raw filmmaking chops and then he's like took six years off apparently and then came back with kill bill and never looked back yeah i don't know 
not sure why he made this. I have not had a chance to like hear any interviews. I'm sure he's given them about he, this movie. The guy's really thoughtful about just I think his 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 legacy and what he's known for and his role of promoting violence and whatnot and and mm-hmm. cinema. And I kind of just see him as like. If I go from Pulp Fiction and just do the other movies I want to do without any kind of detour, like, I might never be taken seriously. Like, I'll be pigeonholed in some kind of genre bullshit, mm-hmm. and that might limit what I'm able to do in the future. I don't know. This is all just me making shit up. Right. But I'm just trying to explain what attracted him to this role. Because if he wanted to – I mean, obviously, he wanted he, – he really liked Pam Greer. He tried to get her into Pulp, pulp Fiction. Did mm-hmm. you know that? I didn't know that, no. Um, I f- – the uh the the um Patricia Arquette character was supposed to be <laughs> Pam Greer and he okay. says the 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 reason he didn't cast her is like when the guy has to yell at her mm-hmm. I don't think anyone would buy this guy like yelling or intimidating at Pam Greer. Yeah. Um but if he wanted to do that I'm sure he could come up with a you know just completely unique Quentin Tarantino movie. Uh, the other thing I read constantly in in kind of researching this film is everyone saying that this is his love letter to black exploitation films, okay. which I felt was a really shallow and wrongheaded kind of note to say about this film. Because other than casting Pam Greer in it mm-hmm. and some of the soundtrack um, um, choices, and of course you know he he kind of leaned into the Foxy Brown stuff with the film's font and all. Like that's right. just, that's really superficial trappings where he, I guess was paying homage to her career, but the rest of it doesn't play like black exploitation at all. Yeah. The bulk of the movie doesn't certainly, uh, I see why people might think that maybe, maybe if you hadn't seen the movie and I guess that's the impression that I had of it more going, going in, um, since I had never seen it before. And I knew that, you know, Pam Greer's career history. Yeah. Um, and, and, kind of the way she was perceived in Hollywood, it's, I expected more of that, and I didn't really get it. No, I was expecting more, like, Foxy Brown coffee kind of, you know, female version of Shaft's gangster film. Yeah. But it's really um, middle-aged black woman who's just trying to get by in life, uh, getting pinched in, in, in circumstances of not making enough money and... You know, doing some some you know, hauling cash around to make ends meet, and she gets pinched by the cops, and she's stuck between this gangster. And mm-hmm. um, I thought it was great. I also it was really... a much more straightforward kind of heist movie. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. Yeah, I mean, it's it's a straight up crime drama, mm-hmm. uh, and fairly believable. And the other thing that's, I guess, a hallmark of Le- Elmore Leonard is. People, I mean, like reasonably highly intelligent people, but also not glor. Like, there's always like his criminal characters always have like fatal flaws. Yeah, like they're smart, but they're not as smart as they think they are. And also, you never forget that they're operating above and beyond the law. So if they make a mistake, mm-hmm. it costs yeah uh, more than your average mistake does. And I thought that that was and that oftentimes was really the efforts they go to to cover their mistakes they've made right. end up getting them in worse trouble right 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 yeah which is one of the things i like about you know justified in this movie it's funny because robert forster has been on my mind lately i was watching the reboot of mystery science theater 3000 on netflix and he he's got a starring role in this movie called avalanche mm-hmm. this disaster film from the late 70s which is ridiculous and i'm like i've seen this guy a bunch of course he's been yeah. in a lot of things but most recently, uh, he played the vacuum cleaner repair guy in Breaking Bad. I believe yeah. he was a 
uh, a, a sheriff or sheriff's deputy on a, a season of Fargo. Hmm. Uh, and then I saw him here, and he's really, really good. And the chemistry between him and Pam Greer, it's like you – the way he, I, I really appreciated the way he sold the fact that he kind of fell in love with this uh, this uh, Jackie at first sight. Yeah, even though you know she comes out of jail that night, she's looking bad by her own admission. Uh, and despite all that, there's something about her that he can yeah. just sniff out. You know, yeah, there's something about the way she's walking or yeah. the way she's carrying herself or. With the added and, intrigue of what's going on with the the Odell stuff he knows about, and he's like, uh-huh. "This is a person who is a cut above and is a stuck in a shitty situation, and I like her." I did think the first sight thing was kind of dumb. Uh, that's maybe the one part of the movie I didn't like because he can't even see her. A, she's in complete darkness. Uh, B, she looks like a train wreck, which she says. And he he hasn't even talked to her yet, and all of a sudden, like the music starts playing, and he starts going, "Oh, this is the one." What? what <laughs> the, the soundtrack fuck are you about? You all the time. Yeah, the sa- where is the soundtrack coming from? <laughs> are they playing this on the PA system outside the jail? Ah, <laughs> uh, Jim Jones, soul of a poet. Uh, <laughs> I so I and that's the thing. Like every single time, because because the movie relies, I guess, on that re- relationship. I mean, I don't think she yeah. can pull this off without that kind of falling into her lap. And, right. um, and and they definitely sold it later on. It was just literally the first sight thing. And then also, like, every step. Like, every time he was, like, considering whether he should get in deeper, mm-hmm. like, you could see him kind of thinking, like, yeah, sure, okay. I What else? What I got to lose? I hate yeah. my job. I hate my – and also how he pulls back at the end because I think he's honestly kind of surprised slash impressed at how, how really ruthless she is. Yeah. Um, and then – then there's the double twist at the end where it's like he's kind of already regretting the decision as soon as she walks out of mm-hmm. the door. It's like that one thing. It's like if you want to know if you want if you're torn between two decisions, then mentally commit to one of them and then judge your reaction. And if you if your reaction is oh shit, I've made a mistake, then you've made a mistake. Flip back to the other word. And I feel like uh-huh. as soon as she gets in the BMW and takes off, he's like, God damn it, I should have gone to Spain. Yeah. Maybe it's not too late. I can meet her at the airport. Do you know how old? Quentin Tarantino was when he made this movie? Late 30s? Do you know how old Elmore Leonard was when he wrote it? Like, no, I have no idea. Okay. Because Elmore Leonard... I I don't either, but it's clear to me that this is a midlife crisis movie, right? Mm. I mean, we're talking about people who are in their 40s and 50s. Uh, You know, Max is definitely beyond his midlife at this point. Right. Uh, Pam Greer is in the midst of it, and she's Mm -hmm. trying to get to a position where she doesn't have to start over again. So, and he, so he, just so you know, Elmer, he, he was in, I think, his early 50s when he wrote this novel for with some quick mental okay. math I'm doing. So That would probably make sense. Uh, which might make Robert Forster like a Mary Sue type character. Yeah. That's Elmore Leonard saying, yeah, this is what I'd do if uh, <laughs> uh, Jackie Brown walked into. Which, you know, in the Rum Punch, the uh, protagonist is a white woman. Right. Yeah, they switched it. Yeah, he switched it. And, and Elmore Leonard after, because I guess Quentin Tarantino was so intimidated by Elmore Leonard that he didn't tell him about any of the changes to the film <laughs> until his, his his novel until they were about to shoot. And he's like, God, I got, you know, I got to do it. Yeah. So he hands, and I guess Elmore Leonard just loved it. He says, uh, of course, he's dead now, so he doesn't say anything, but he said it's the best screenplay of any of the novel and he you know so hmm. many of his okay. things have been adapted to film they have now 
since then, I wonder, because it seems like he had a real special fondness for, for Justified mm-hmm. as well. Yeah. Um, but, uh, but you know, up until that, you know, the, the cinematic uh, crown was going to Quentin Tarantino and Jackie Brown. Yeah, and they, I mean, Tarantino, make no mistake, put his stamp on this movie from from the dialogue to even the setting. Like, he took it originally from Miami um, mm-hmm. in the book to L.A. in the movie. So, right. you know... Tarantino is almost synonymous with L.A. crime movies at this point. Right. So uh, he's definitely got his fingers all over it. And uh, I I don't know. I, I think that it – I wonder if that's why people were also wondering about, you know, the black exploitation angle of it is because it was not originally uh, supposed to be a black woman in the role. Huh. And Tarantino did that. And Tarantino, you know, he – he likes those kind of movies, right? right? I mean, he's a student of that genre, so you right. can kind of expect that to come out of him. But yeah, I definitely think he... I don't feel like it was over the top here. No, I mean, I definitely think he wanted to pay, play homage to that because it certainly yeah. um, fits it. But, you know, Django Unchained is, is much more clearly a black exploitation type of film. Yeah. You know, um, and, and he kind of got that out of his system, but... I mean, I don't think I don't I don't think Quentin Tarantino is the type of guy who casting Pam Greer in a starring role in something like this could not play with the logo and the soundtrack a little bit, right? Like he just you know in in principle, if you tempt if you tempt Quentin Tarantino, he's going to fall uh-huh. uh, for the temptation. So uh, I again, I'm I'm in, I'm kind of impressed that it's as straightforward as it is. And you know, yeah. you've also got Sam Jackson, right? He's certainly a larger-than-life character that could be his um, Odell, Roby, could certainly be at home in, in, a, in a Shaft movie. Yeah. Or, you know, any of those uh, 70s-style exploitation films. But, mm-hmm. you know, he's inhabiting. He's also a, a opposite Robert De Niro, which really interesting role for him because he's, like, kind of passive and, and, yeah. and dumb. Not pret- – I mean – a lot. Of, I, I saw a lot. Of, I saw a lot of things said about him being dumb, and I don't know that that's the greatest read on the situation because he's also smart enough to see that he's being manipulated by uh, the Bridget Fonda's character, Melanie. Yeah. Melanie. Melanie. I don't have all, uh, a handle on every all these guys' uh, characters yet. Um, and he goes and he tells. It, it's like one of those guys. He's he's smart enough to tell the boss about a potential problem with his operation, not smart enough to turn down free sex when he thinks it's the boss's girlfriend. Right. Uh, Not even as smart as, uh, fuck, what's his name from Pulp Fiction? Oh, uh, Vincent. Vincent, Vincent yes, thank you. Not even that smart. Nope. Uh, And Vincent wasn't the brightest bulb in in, in the, the, I don't know, lampshade. Yeah. Isn't that the brightest bulb in the... In the uh, bunch? That makes no sense. Yeah, it doesn't make any sense. Brightest bulb in the fixture? Like, brightest (laughs) bulb in the box? Well, no, there's no bright bulbs in boxes. They're fucking not plugged in anything. Uh, But, yeah, I... I, But there's there's something interesting then, because they imply that he knew her when he was young, that she was younger, or maybe... Um, he was looking at all these pictures of oh, her when yeah, she was yeah. younger, mm-hmm. which is, you know, they kind of portray as slightly creepy that, you know. And they say he saw, he knew her like six years ago was the last time they saw each other. Right. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yeah. she's been with, I mean, they implied that she's been with Odell for a long, long time, right? Mm-hmm. 
Um, and then, you know, of course, they have sex and they have this weird kind of relationship. And then he's so frustrated with her that he ends up uh, shooting her. Mm-hmm. And I didn't know what to make of that because that seemed like kind of out of character for his character. I don't know. I mean, this is a guy who is dumb enough to think he can get away with robbing a bank. And he's impulsive okay. enough to actually do it. Okay. Uh, I I certainly expected him to like backhand her or something. Oh yeah, no. I did not violence, expect him to blow her air, away. Sure. Yeah, uh, that surprised even me. And I, uh, but I it, like in a good way, not in a bad way. It was, and I uh, like how matter of fact it was. Yeah, like you know that was just holy shit. This major character in the film has just been blown away and. She's just going to be left in the parking lot, and I'm like, yeah. "How are the you know, how are the cops not going to find? Well, of course, the cops find her." It and, felt to me like what a dangerous and not super intelligent person mm-hmm. might do in the heat of the moment. Now they just get flustered and and make a bad decision. Uh, I I want to take a, some some a, a dovetail from the praise we've heaped on the film so far and talk about some problems I had with it because I oh, don't okay. I think there's some critical flaws or maybe holes in the plot which may fill in after I've seen it a few times or if I mm-hmm. read the book but it seems like if the cops have a close as an eye on both Jackie and Odell as they claim they do mm-hmm. that there's no way they would be fooled. Yep. In fact, it almost seemed like Jackie needed to have Robert De Niro's character Louis Lewis Lewis, yeah. blow Melanie away and then get shot himself to sell the idea that some kind of treachery was was right. going on because otherwise Michael Keaton's uh, like an Italian job style thing, right? <laughs> yeah, like like I it's, it's it seemed like like without that she'd have been fucked, and maybe yeah. maybe that's something Elmore's playing with the fact that like she's smart too, but not that smart, right? And she needed some help, some outside help beyond her control for it to uh, to go down the way because because if if everything had gone the way it's supposed to go, mm-hmm. um. Why don't I mean the cops? Number one, how in the hell can she slip in and do all this stuff in the dressing room? That seems suspicious as hell. How can Odell go to a strip club and get away without being detected? In fact, how the hell can he like like the cops have been watching yeah. him since before the movie started? How does he just go pick up pick up the guy he just bailed out of jail and blow him away? Uh huh. Like behind the hotel that he's living in, like it that, that that's. That shit doesn't make sense from what I think I understand about the movie. And it seems very, like... Now, it could be the cops are just lying or, like, overstating how much uh, heat is on Odell. Like, yeah. But that none of that is evidence in the movie. And it was distracting me because the whole third act I'm trying to figure out, like, how is she going to eventually fool the cops? And how is she going to sell the scheme? And it turns out she needs a massive assist from Louie and Odell overreacting to things to to make that go the way she needed it to go. Do you think I'm right? Does it not bother you as much or do you have any answers for me? Um This is interesting. So why do you think the cops were there at the end of the movie uh to blow away? Like why was Ray able to shoot Ordell? I definitely think that that's once... What did she tell what, what did she tell the cops to get them there? Well, because the last time we, 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 you, Michael character, Michael Keaton's character is Ray, I'm surmising. You just mm-hmm. mentioned his name, right? Yeah. Okay, so Ray, uh, when he's, because he's kind of suspects that Jackie is up to something, too. And I like yeah. 
I like the scenes of like Ray and Odell. Like they sh- they do like like they spend like a good sixty seconds just watching Samuel Jackson turn the wheels over in his mind in that yeah. van before he finally like opens his eyes as like Jackie Brown. Uh-huh. And I I feel like that they, Ray was doing the same thing in his interrogation with her. Like I can't prove anything's weird going on, but this is how I see it. And you better hope that we find Odell before her. So I think she collaborated with him to kind of set set Odell up, and then right. Did she tell him about the money? Because the entire movie, she's saying this guy doesn't care about the money; he just wants to get Odell. Right, and the other thing is that she's been consistently telling them about the, that this second drop is going to be fifty thousand dollars, not five hundred thousand. So they're looking for the fifty thousand that they find, not the whole five hundred thousand. Right. Um, so I think that from his perspective, she just, you know, again, this happens off screen. We have to surmise it, but she calls Ray and says, this guy's going, I've told him that, you know, he's got, oh, but yeah, why would she be tracking him down? So I don't, I don't know that they even believe her. Yeah. And and I think they're not going to give her the immunity that she wants until they actually get Ordell. And so she's forced to bring Ordell back in. By telling Ordell about the four fifty that she's got, right? But not tell, telling the cops about that, telling them about the fifty. Well, that's the other right? thing is that Melanie skimmed some off the top those marked yeah. bills for herself, which helped her again. Which yeah. helped, which which, and helped. I think that she kind of knew that would happen. Yeah, because she, she said, says, "Hey, this is cherry on top for you." And, right. And the implication: what has he ever done for us? So I think right. that she counted on that to happen, and then maybe the police would find find them because they're tailing them um but if they're tailing them as close that's like get back to it's not making sense i think um what she sold them on is that maybe odell had smoked out that the cops were onto him and that she would they that he was going to try to rub her out so because she couldn't tell the cops about the five hundred thousand dollars or else she wouldn't have to be able to make no but she could it. But she could reclaim the fifty and get Ordell in the process, right? By luring him back with the four fifty that the cops don't know about. But why? That's what I'm saying. What story would you tell the cops? I can get him back. He's got oh oh right. Why <laughs> would Ordell come back? I have five hundred thousand dollars of his money. I know he's going to be coming. Like, well, I mean, she could tell him anything. Like, I can get Ordell back, and maybe they give right. her one last opportunity because I don't think the cops buy it. Like. No, I, I get it. The cops don't buy that she had nothing to do with this money disappearing. But if if the fact that it didn't go down the way it always went, it kind of leads credence to her story that you know they knew the fix was in, and some you know because criminals do they have this this uh, sixth sense that like you know I can they can feel the heat on them. We see this with yeah. the wire, we see it in Justified, we see it a lot of different ways, and that you know like that it's plausible that they just just jumped the gun to and and and. There's nothing that Jackie did wrong. Mm-hmm. It's just weird that, like, I, I don't understand that last little bit of the th- of the third act. Yeah. So, but it's not. Like I said, I don't. I don't think it's a, a fatal flaw. No, and I think there's a lot of um, wiggle room to just say she told them something that made them think she could get Ordell back there, and right. she did it in the end. You know, right. um, she obviously didn't tell them about the 450 because they would have wanted that. Right. Um, but. I, I like how it's it's kind of a mix of intelligence, desperation, and luck that's going on in this movie where you have a lot of a lot of people who have a lot of intelligence. Like you look at uh, Sam Jackson's character, Ordell. He's a smart guy, right? Uh, his, his line's about knowing Melanie but not trusting her. 
um, and kind of understanding what person she is and knowing that trusting that Melanie will always act like Melanie. Mm-hmm. Um, Remind me of uh, what little Wayne's line about uh, Ho's going to be Ho, so you can't blame Tammy. <laughs> okay. Um, yeah. Sure. Yeah. Sounds sounds about right. Uh, I, so, you, you know, Jackie is a very desperate person and he trusts Jackie, but he doesn't know Jackie. Right. And that's what gets him fucked is she's because he doesn't, card. he can't, he can't in, anticipate the moves that she's going to make right. because he only trusts her. He doesn't know her. Right. Yeah. Melanie's a joker, but he knows she's a joker. Right. Whereas Jackie's the wild card and he doesn't know. Yeah. Uh, and she's desperate. You know, she's the wild card because things have changed. Right. She's got to get out. Right. Do you, it also seems like that he would just try to kill her again. I understand when, that she intimidated him off the first and then said, hey, I got, an, I got a way for you to get your $500,000 back and, you know, befuddle the cops. But he has to trust her to do that. Like, it seems like for the, the smart play would just be to go along with her and then kill, like, throw her off the balcony or kill her when she's over at Melanie's house or do whatever and then figure out a way to get his 500 back sometime else. Right. Send, send his, you know, country girl. Yeah, that thinks Compton's L.A. or Hollywood down there to get it. Yeah, she's she's rough. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, maybe he just needed her too much because he didn't have another way to get that money. Mm-hmm. So let me ask you this: What do you think Ordell wants with that money? I know it's his money, and he, he wants says it's it, his but retirement money, right? Is he, like is he planning to get like, out of the game? Yeah, he's been hustling and grinding this arm stuff, yeah. and then he's he's about to get out. That makes total sense, given the you know the desperation of it all, the right. the midlife crisis that this movie is. Right, right. He's done with this. Right, and you know, five hundred thousand dollars of cash, if you're mm-hmm. like you know your late forties or early fifties, probably go a long way. If you have a you know lifestyle like Odell's, where you're just essentially moving from uh apartment and house that other people own and you don't really have a base of operations and yeah i'll keep him in kangle hats for a long long while <laughs> i thought you were gonna say moving from screwdriver to screwdriver because holy <laughs> shit this yeah. man yeah he drinks a lot of vodka yes he does screwdrivers that's his drink he knows yeah. what he knows his drink and and that's what he's gonna stick to <laughs> good for him i like it uh they do a great job of setting the tone early on like uh-huh. You really feel like you're in. You feel like you're in all parts of the criminal justice system here, right? Right. Because they take you to court, they take you to the bail bondsman. Oh yeah, they, we got to see Tasha Yar. Right, we do, and the guy from Mouse of a Thousand Corpses, whose name I don't <laughs> I didn't remember. recognize him, but yeah, uh, yeah, they they do a real good job of setting the tone just with this first meeting with Max. Like, uh-huh. here's this guy who Max Cherry, what a name, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, uh, he's been doing it for a long time, and he's grizzled, and he doesn't take any shit, and you can tell it right off the bat. But then here's Sam Jackson, who looks like he doesn't belong in this place, right? Mm-hmm. But he is so adept at at what he's doing and this this side of the business, right? Mm-hmm. Um, he's used to getting people off the hook. He's used to the bail right. bond scene. Uh, it really shows you kind of it, it build, does a lot of character building right there from the very jump right. with Sam Jackson, right? Uh, and I thought it was really good. And, you know, just the look of it, like the wood paneling, sure. the, just the setting gets you in a mood. Yeah, the location stuff was all really good. Like, yeah. you know, um, ah, shoot, what did you say Bridget Fonda's character was? Melanie? Melanie, yeah. Melanie. Melanie's like little beach bungalow uh-huh. and uh, Shoshanda. Was it Shoshanda? 
was the country maybe? girl like her shit, shit shit whole house in Compton was cool like the Max Cherry's office like yeah you're right the location work here was really really good it is and location you always and costuming you always can like almost taste the smoke in the air uh-huh like on all of these scenes you oh, see that people bar? smoking what was and that it's the like... what was the bar that she that was right by her house that place was fucking awesome the wait the one where it was like it was like blood red completely at night, red but yeah. then it's like you know like like when sam jackson's there he's like damn <laughs> yeah i'm gonna have to remember this place that was a cool place yeah i liked it yeah the movie felt cool which is a very elmore leonard slash uh uh quentin tarantino thing yeah um quentin tarantino got to get uh, got to indulge his foot fetish again Oh, with the toes in the glass. Gross. Yeah. I wouldn't touch that glass after that happened. Yeah, I think Bridget Fon- uh, Bridget Fonda is super attractive, but sh- they did a really great job with the spray tan and just her hair to make her look <laughs> like she's just starting to go to seed. Like, you know. Right. Just starting to go to seed. Yeah. A little, and, and also, she's been. I don't think she's done anything but sit on that couch and smoke weed for about a decade. Yeah, that's probably true. <laughs> yeah, and and the pieces she was using just kept getting more and more elaborate. Uh, I enjoyed that aspect of them too. Were there any characters in this movie that you absolutely despised? Uh, no, but I think I know who you're going to say. You got your Chris I Tucker can't is your fucking stand Chris Tucker in anything. You he's didn't in. like him in this. I no, thought he was I hilarious. Hate I hate him in everything he's in. <laughs> Wait, I know we've talked about this because I kind of think it's a commission podcast, but. You didn't like him as Ruby Rod in no. Fifth Element? No, God, no. So, really? I hate Ruby Rod. I hate the character. I hate him. I hate the the man himself. You Everything like... about Chris Tucker annoys the sh- Oh, oh, I can't you, stand him. You don't him. like him with Jackie Chan? No. No? No, he's borderline tolerable. Because I thought, like, because... he, he does... I thought he was great in this film because he's supposed to be a fuck up. Yeah. I and just, he's a fuck up. I don't like his voice. I don't like I don't like anything about Chris Tucker. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, that's fair. I can't help it. I mean, do some people I some have an irrational hatred of the man. All right. I can What I, am I gonna I, do? I definitely uh uh can dig that. I <laughs> it's funny because I was when I was watching in the opening scenes, I was watching Robert De Niro sit next to Sam Jackson as he's just motor mouthing about these guns. I'm like, uh, what must it be like to just sit there in the same room as Sam Jackson where he's just dropping N-bomb after N-bomb and <laughs> motherfucker this and motherfucker that. And, like, uh-huh. you're sitting there supposed to be, like, this right-out-of-jail con that you got a relationship. Like, like what must that be like? Yeah. That this guy who's completely not like this guy is just inhabiting the same space and, and room. I, I, I thought I just, it was You just let it wash over you, I think, which is kind of what he does. Right. In that scene. And also... It's kind of funny because I guess I who's the bigger star, Robert De Niro or Sam Jackson? At that point in their careers, I mean, uh, just I'll, I'll I'm not even I'm not even going to play that. I mean, at that point in their careers, yeah. Now I would argue Sam Jackson probably is, but even now, at that you point, think he's bigger than De Niro, Robert De Niro certainly. Hmm. I mean, that's around like Casino era, right? Yeah, I guess casino-ish it would be. Casino-ish De Niro. 90, yes. I think like that's, 93 that's, is Casino. That's, that's all in the mid-90s, yeah. 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 So, I don't know, probably Robert De Niro. Because I think at, at that, that point, point, like, that's still the peak. Because, like, you know, I, I'm not sure when Heat was done, too. Yeah, yeah. But, like, that's kind of 95? arguably peak De Niro. Because The Godfather's already behind him. Raging Bull's already behind him. Taxi Driver's already behind yeah. him. Oh, totally peak like, De Niro. Like, yeah. what's he done since? Like, the Meet Fockers. the Fockers yeah, and Bullwinkle and... Right. I mean, I'm not saying he hasn't done anything. Like, he's doing the Bernie Madoff thing now with HBO that looks pretty cool. 
Yeah, he did a boxing movie not too long ago. Yeah, or yeah, he yeah. was the, the old coach. Hands of Stone. Yeah, what, yeah. Stone hands I haven't seen it yet, but me either. I, I think it's it it's coming HBO this 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 month. Yeah. Uh, but I, it's 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 funny because I would say it's Robert De Niro, especially at that point. At that point, yes. But Sam Jackson is just dominating him. <laughs> it's true, yeah. And it, and I'm not saying like he's acting his ass. I'm or he's he's out acting him. I'm just saying that like that was. Robert De Niro must have had a hell of a lot of respect for Quentin Tarantino um, after like Pulp Fiction and Reservoir Dogs and whatnot to go in and let and essentially take the back seat to Sam Jackson. Yeah, like I'm just going to be second fiddle. I'm going to do this thing and let and and let Sam Jackson kind of shine and and uh, slap me around the screen because yeah, I, that's not how I would think it would go down. Mm-hmm. Um, no, knowing kind of their relative. Uh, 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 points they were in their careers. Yeah. Um, and, and that little, just shows Sam Jackson's a fucking star. Yeah. He's charismatic sure. as hell. Yeah. I mean, ever, ever since what Die Hard three been Sam Jackson fan. So I see, I'm trying to think like what the first thing I seen, seen cause it's either Die Hard three or I, I, what was that? What was that? Um, uh, the, the legal film, like a time to kill. Mm, I don't, know that i've seen is that, that that's the classic yes i killed them and i hope they burn in hell sam jackson huh, okay. uh that was early 90s but uh, but yeah i'm not and and I, yeah like when I, I mean now he's in star wars and he's in everything just you know a lot of tarantino movies we need an excuse to do like one of these days we're gonna get an excuse to do like a deep dive in his filmography and yeah. kind of decide like when he arrived I mean, when he when would that be because we've done pulp fiction we've done jackie brown <laughs> fuck it and, and fuck we've it. Done we're doing Django. it now we're doing it live we've done Django. We're do- didn't prepare for this but we're doing it live and we did first run of tarantino's new movie hateful eight so when would that be that we'd have it's an now. opportunity? It's now, motherfucker. <laughs> um, all right. So, man, I hate the way they do this thing, and it's it's fucking not reverse chronological order. Um, whew, you got to go way back here, man. Uh, his first role is in 1972, Together for Days. He played Stan. Let's let's just go to something I've actually Jesus. yeah I've actually heard. Um, see, Coming to America, 1988. Eddie Murphy, really? he played a stick-up man. Okay, so like a, do just not, a bit He part. did not stand out to there. Do the right no. thing. Okay, I should probably oh. recognize him in that, but I don't. Um, let's see. Going Mo' Better Blues. Never saw that. Uh, no fucking way he's in Goodfellas. When? I've seen Goodfellas like 20 times, and I don't remember Sam Jackson being in it. Holy shit. Uh, let's see. Keep on moving. Keep extras. On. Um, yeah, I don't know. He's in Patriot Games, which was that uh, Tom Clancy Harrison okay. Ford joint. I do yep. not rem- remember him in there. He's trying to stop the assassination of the president. Uh, I think he. If I was guessing, he's probably playing because one of the plots in that was the Irish gangsters teaming up with like black nationalists. So mm-hmm. he's probably playing one of the. You know when they were when they're they're, they're teaming up to play to do an operation on American soil. Uh, but I don't remember that. He was in Menace to Society. Jurassic Park, 93. Right. Right, he's the computer guy. One Jurassic of the Park, guys. 93. Hold on to your butts. Yep. He's that guy. And, oh, he was in True Romance, which is another Quentin Tarantino. Like he, he, I don't yeah. think he directed it, he wrote it. Uh, but then you get Pulp Fiction. 
Um, and then he just broke out from there. And that's like he's that that kind of cemented who I guess who he was. Die, then he was in Die Hard. Uh, then he was in A Time to Kill. Yep, mm-hmm. yep. So that's I guess I mean he just went from sometime between Jurassic Park and Pulp Fiction. He just decided he was going to be Samuel L. Jackson. Yeah, and that's that's kind of that's that's what he did. I got to say, I like the Sam Jackson that that we have uh, that we have now much more than the Sam Jackson that could have been, like the guy just sitting in the background playing on computers. Yeah, yeah. Like he was so boring in Jurassic Park. There oh, was nothing stand out about that's him. Not fair. Aside from the line, "Hold on to your butts," hold nobody even butt. remembers no one him. Works, no one works a cigarette dangling off their lip <laughs> like Sam Jackson in fucking Jurassic Park. Yeah, I'm just saying he had nothing that interesting to do. I'm glad we got Sam Jackson as a breakout star. Right. Right. In yeah. Pulp Fiction. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of like, um, what's the? Uh, I'm gonna throw out a un-Sam Jackson performance, Unbreakable. Okay, yeah, totally. It's Elijah Elijah Price, which I hear that they're yeah, working. Yeah, he on plays a, the villain. Yeah, in that Shamalayan is working on a sequel to that. Oh, is he? Yeah, they're gonna let him make it. Yeah, it's. it's I don't, did Unbreakable do well? I think so. Yeah. I mean, I don't know how much money it made because I wasn't paying attention, but that was a that's a, a badass movie. And it's, Bruce it's Willis still... and Sam Jackson reprising their roles from Die Hard Three. Yeah, <laughs> just ten years down the line. Yeah, Mr. Glass <laughs> is even more brutal. What's uh-huh. going to happen? Um, but yeah, there's. Uh, I mean, I guess the Star Wars stuff is not very Sam Jackson either. But nobody yeah. was very nobody was very their their no. essence in that. All right, that that uh, there we go. Yeah, I'm looking at all the roles he's done, and he's kind of just Sam Jackson in every one of these things. Mm-hmm. Black Snake Moan, did you see that? I didn't. I mean, it's still pretty Sam Jackson, but it's it's a bit it's a bit um, different, bit edgier. He's a little. I, I thought he did a really great job in uh, Django Unchained. Oh yeah, he was not very Sam Jackson in that. That's uh, uh... he. He was a different. He had a different gear. Okay. That was still fierce and like intimidating, but. I mean, is, obviously, right, subservient, in that, like in, exactly. for the bulk of that movie, right? Literally, yeah. All right. Well, we did a we did an abbreviated IMDb dive of him because, like, okay. I I was wondering, like, maybe there's just like this vast iceberg of his career that I could delve, but I don't think there is. Like, no, yeah, it not looks a like ton. it's it's a lot, a lot of minor roles and extra type of, type of stuff. Let me ask you this: if you're if you're a gangster, uh, okay, a, if a, an arms dealer, uh-huh. uh huh. And you routinely kill people less than a mile from your house and in broad daylight. Uh-huh. Uh, do you really want to have a long-ass soul patch and a gigantic ponytail and a Kangol uh, beret or whatever the hell those golf hats are? What's I don't know. The, yeah, and then, like, and Sam a Jackson just wears yellow those coat. now. Yeah. Like... He's colorful, uh, literally. Okay, ma'am, could you tell us what you saw outside your window? <laughs> yeah, I saw a black guy in a yellow coat he had with a, a massive patch, ponytail. Except for it's like it's like it's like a rat tail soul patch, right? And he's got a big ass ponytail. <laughs> he's got this kangaroo hat on. How could he have not? He's got, been he's got by like now. a curious George yellow <laughs> right. ye- ye- yellow jacket on. Yeah. Yeah, it seems would, to me like you would want to be a, a more of a Gustavo Fring, right? Maybe like, that's because I'm the, the hiding thing, in plain sight. I'm thinking like an arms dealer that's amassed five hundred thousand dollars over his career. Like the ATF is sweating this guy, but maybe this is he's the low hanging fruit. Yeah, like I, you know, we could go after guys making. This you know, is we filling could, their quota. We go after Nick Cage and Lord of, the, the, of War, but right. let's go after the guy in the bright yellow jacket <laughs> who's dropping bodies like 
all the time. Yeah. Because that's the other thing I wrote in my notes is like, Sam's dropping a lot of bodies. <laughs> this is this is late stage criminal I'm watching. Yep. This is that's the equivalent of the cop saying I'm two weeks away from retirement. <laughs> right. Like when you start dropping this many bodies, like that's you know retirement. Yeah. Yeah. Are marked bills really this stupid? Just a marker on on the zero. Yeah, I thought marked bills meant like they kept track of the serial range, or like yeah. I didn't think it was literally like. Birdman getting a fucking sharpie out and dotting the same <laughs> spot in every stack of the bill, uh-huh. like that. I was really, really disappointed if if that's in, in actuality what marked bills means. Yeah, that was like really lo-fi. It is. Uh... Like if I'm a criminal and I'm like doing a big deal and I see a giant uh, sharpie dot and everyone the bills, I'm like, what the fuck are you doing? Yeah, and I kill the guy. <laughs> right. I kill the guy and I leave the money. Yeah, because uh, that's that's uh, bullshit bait that they're trying to feed me. But maybe it's yeah. I I mean maybe they have a myriad ways of marking them. Like sometimes it's a red pin and it's on the nose of Benjamin Franklin. They paint him like a clown. Yeah. Uh, I I don't know. Yeah, it would yeah, seem they put pretty Groucho conspicuous. Gla- uh, glasses on Abraham Lincoln. That's uh-huh. how you know. That's how you know. They spock him. <laughs> they spock the bill. You guys, if you're a gangster, you got to specify, I need to be paid in unspocked bills. <laughs> right. Otherwise, non-sequ- it's just all non- spocks. Non-sequential, a, a small denomination, unspocked bills. <laughs> or the deal's off. Yep. Uh, there were a couple of shots that I really liked. Um, I kind of liked when they go split screen to show you something that's happening previously. Um, something that's going to be important in the scene coming up, yeah, uh, and that you have no knowledge of prior to this. They want to they want to give you that knowledge economically because this is a two and a half hour movie. It's yes. not a short movie, um, so I think they took those opportunities to kind of shorten it a little bit while so, still uh, giving you all the info you needed. I agree with that. What did you think about the three separate POVs? Like, we got to see the last 15 minutes of the movie three different times, and I found that on the third time through kind of tedious. Like, I don't know. I I think a little bit better of an editing job could have blended those together seamlessly and would have added added a lot more tension. There would have been a lot more aha moments, and it would have shortened the movie a good 15, 20 minutes, which I don't think would be a bad thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I wasn't bored. Yeah, you could be right. I mean, this movie's pace was a lot statelier and a lot more uh, patient than your average Tarantino. Because Tarantino mm-hmm. makes long ass films. Yeah. With the exception of Hateful Eight, they don't feel long. Hateful right. Eight. <laughs> I mean, you know, we did a remote view to movie. Yeah. Not not my favorite Quentin Tarantino film. Um, but I, I I don't know because I saw a lot of people praising those um, separate POV endings. I I don't know. Yeah. Um... Hmm. Not sure how I feel about those. And that's a, I mean, that's the most minor of criticisms. I'm just saying. I was just thinking, like, it would be interesting to see the 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 to take a to take a stab at re-editing those together and to see if you could dense make make it a little bit more information dense, yeah, still readable, much more tense and and and, and entertaining. Yeah. Uh, no, I I think I agree with that, especially on second viewing. I think it's going to be even more tedious. Because uh, you know you, you've already got a clear handle on what's happening here, and seeing it play out three times uh, might have been interesting the first viewing, but the second viewing, no. Or there could be a lot of things where that we missed out on that we'd be like, Maybe. "Oh man, this is this is crazy." Uh, the other bit of style that I really liked is when 
you know, he's he's going up and he's talking to Chris Tucker and he's getting him to come down to the car and they go past the pool and Tarantino lowers the camera down to fence level and shoots through the fence and and tracks along with him, similar to how he does at the beginning mm-hmm. of the movie with Pam Greer. But he tracks along with him and it makes it look like it's a an old time projector. Mm. Uh, and that's something... So Tarantino is, you know, a cinemaphile and he's an audiophile, mm-hmm. I guess. Uh, he has a very he has a deep love for music and the technology. I don't think he's ever touched children. <laughs> is that what that means? <laughs> Boy, I mixed my terms up, sorry. Uh, yeah, so that comes across in this movie because Robert De Niro at some point asks I I think it's asks Melanie about like CDs when she goes to put on. Oh no! It's for Ma- it's uh, Max Cherry when. Uh, oh right! When... Ask Pam Greer about CDs when right. she puts on the records. Uh, and, Which, by and the he... way, I who ever thought vinyl would make a resurgence? Yeah, that's the it's cr- a weird craziest thing. thing. And I'm not even that against it. Like my friend Josh is like kind of talked me into it. Like it's it's more respectable than I thought it was like two years ago for sure. But yeah. still, mm-hmm. but still. But yeah, I, I mean, clearly Max is this guy who I don't think is in touch with audio at all. No. Um, he he doesn't know who the Delphonics are, right? Uh, he's I, I'm trying to see what Tarantino is talking about in regards to like the new newest tech at that time, which would have been CDs, right? Mm-hmm. Um, he's trying to say these <laughs> things are are ridiculous. They don't sound nearly as good as this vinyl. Right. Listen to this vinyl, but then again, you're getting this on a digital audio system through uh 11.1 speaker system in a, right. st- in a theater and what i really enjoyed about it is af- after he said oh you're not you don't do the cd thing and she's like oh, i never got into it what does he do he goes and buys a fucking cassette tape, tape. yeah which is probably the shittiest audio format ever yeah and they play it in beautiful clarity in the soundtrack uh-huh. which is totally untrue to a tape right i mean that, I, that's what i'm yeah, yeah, like like real like say what you will about like reel to reel and eight track, mm-hmm. but they were completely superior forms of of a recording format over just fucking tape. That shit was was was. I, I I'd love bad. to go back and listen to one. Oh, it's bad. What if I have any? Because uh, I think I threw away my last tape like ten years ago. I don't have a player. Like you can get a player. I've got a play. But... I got a tape player at home. Huh. Uh, I just don't have any tapes. But I would like to go back and see some of the ones because I had a, a whole bunch. I had a, an impressive tape collection. I think then, my car might have one. What's actually. really bad is like back in high school, I used to fuck. I just, you know, like we just uh, deck to deck or high speed dubbed. Like I bet some of those high speed oh, dubbed yeah. copies I had were just like primo, <laughs> primo vintage. listening experience. Just call them vintage. Oh you know? yeah. Then open up a store selling cassette tapes, vintage cassette tapes. And, and, and what would you? What's really great is like when you're trying to eke out that last few milliamps from a battery and uh-huh. it starts like you start noticing like, oh, this the is about down. 3% too slow. And it's like, uh-huh. how long can you stay with it? 10%, 20%. <laughs> like, uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah Delphonic's not sounded so good at 20% speed. <laughs> <laughs> but then there's a sweet spot where it starts to sound like an emo remix of it. Right. <laughs> While we're on the subject of music, I do not believe that Johnny Cash in any world has an uncle named Fudd. I think he just needed to rhyme with Tennessee Stud. Do you think that he was a boy named Sue? I believe that sooner than I believe <laughs> that he has an uncle named Fudd. Uh... I don't know. He likes to do, likes to, you know. Hey, my name's Sue. How do you do? Uh huh. And then after he does that, he's got he set himself up for an, a great internal rhyme. But then he says, "Now you got to die." 
Yeah. Like, what? Just leave me hanging there? Yeah, subvert your expectations. If you're Johnny Cash, you can get away with that shit. For sure. If you're Johnny Cash and you're playing a live album in front of a bunch of hardened criminals, you can do whatever the fuck you want. Mm. <laughs> as long as you walk out of that place alive. Yep. Uh, I also thought it was funny when they're in the courtroom scene and they're setting uh, the bond for Pam Greer for Jackie at 10,000. And they say due to the fact that she's a risk of flight. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, well, yeah, she's she's literally a, a attendant. Yeah. That's funny because like, it's the uh, Tasha Yar asked for 25. 25 yeah. And they got and the judge is like, you know what? Fuck you, 10. Like that never happens, does it? Well, he said that it was like excessive, but I, I mean, with what she was charged with, it didn't sound like. I it. didn't think so, especially given the fact that she's. Uh, a, a, but of course, yeah, given the fact she's a stewardess. But I, you know, that's the thing is like I don't. Uh, yeah, because I because the ATF guys were there and they could have been like, hey, also she works for this criminal who just bailed this this spent ten grand to bail this other dude out that we had under surveillance, like, mm-hmm. you know. I also thought it was funny that wait did he put up ten? He only put up a thousand. He, he only put up a thousand, but he went to go Chris Tucker and he he claimed the full. Like, I just spent ten thousand dollars in your ass. There's a yeah. guy that doesn't know the difference between bail and bond. <laughs> right. I mean, he used the ten thousand as collateral, but he paid the thousand. Fee. So I thought the way is this: like you you pay the bondsman a thousand bucks, and then like if you don't show up to court, uh, they take it out of your ass. Like that's how mm. that's how that's how bounty hunters work. I don't know. So that ten grand that you know he uses throughout the movie, he started with on Chris Tucker's thing. But it's only a thousand Beaumont. bucks. I'm saying, but wait, no, but it was ten. It was 10? it was ten. Yeah, so he, he used, used that as collateral because the guy's got to take collateral, I guess. Ah, uh, and the thousand was his fee. Ah, uh, okay. Like he takes ten percent of the okay. bond. Wow, so as Sam payment, just just, just busted that ten thousand there. Yeah, you're right because yeah. at the end he was trying to give him back his ten thousand. Right. Okay. All right. Again, I've only seen this movie once. Uh, what what was with turning the lights off in this movie? Because it happens oh, all man. the time, and and it it kind of bookends, you know, the the relationship with Jackie Brown and or Ordell. It's something that, like Elmore Leonard seems to like to play with um, the idea of criminals doing something that they think is menacing, but uh-huh. the protagonist is just like, get the fuck out of here. Like <laughs> uh, like James Gandolfini's character in Get Short. Have you seen Get Shorty? I haven't. It's super good. But, you know, James Gandolfini is this big, hulking dude, and he wasn't yeah. quite Tony Soprano fat-ass mode back then. And this this small-time crook is trying to intimidate uh, John Travolta, who plays this, like, East Coast mafia guy, Shylock. Mm-hmm. And uh, this guy, guy this he's, like, you know, hulking over him, but he's, like, standing a couple steps or two on a staircase. And, and as he's saying his cold-blooded smack, John Travolta just straight punches him right in his dick. <laughs> and then grabs him by it and throws him down the staircase. Wow. And then looks at the mob guy and he looks at the criminals like, what? You were in trying to intimidate? So I, I feel like that's kind of like um, they're playing with the idea that Jackie, like he's trying to intimidate Jackie Brown and she's just mm-hmm. not having any of it. Yeah. And he's just embarrassing himself. Yeah, and then she plays that card at the end you right know, against him right um and, and i think also and hers served a purpose right she turned the lights off so that the guys couldn't see that he didn't actually have a gun drawn a gun. he has a gun on him i think he had the gun drawn too but oh, i think, you think you're so? supposed to i think okay. i think what you're supposed to wonder and what max is wondering is did she know it yeah, because it's yeah. pitch black. Like, was she just trying to pull the like suicide? I guess it would be homicide by cop. 
Right. Or was she really afraid for his life? And that's the thing that, like, Max was trying to figure out. Yeah, it's another element of luck that but I, that saves her. You yeah, know? but I, but again, that's just, that's again, that's just my, what I was, what I was feeling in the scene. There might be, might be a little bit more to that. Mm-hmm. Is there any other uh, lights on, lights off moments? No, I think it's just those two scenes. Yeah. Um, I can say one good thing for um, Ordell. He gets a new pair of gloves for every kill. Uh, the problem with this is, and I think you should take a lesson from OJ here, mm-hmm. is especially considering how much OJ he drinks, uh, <laughs> wear some common-ass gloves yeah. when you're committing murder. Don't wear the fucking $600 isotoners. Right. Don't wear these fucking leather-studded, braided bullshit. They're going to know. Yeah immediately who did this yeah there was only 150 of these sold right three in the united states yeah um and you don't got oj money to get one off, to so. a man in a yellow jacket with a ponytail <laughs> and a soul patch to his waist who's an international gun runner uh <laughs> right. yeah no yeah that 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 was hilarious and the, the fact that i mean i thought that was pretty funny because i i was at, at at the time i'm like how fucking obvious can you get you come into this woman's apartment with gloves on right and you're shutting the lights off all the time and yeah. i'm like at first i'm like what the hell is going on and then she she pulls the gun mm-hmm. which i instantly realized she pulled for max's car yeah um and i thought that was i suddenly got a lot clever more clever it did uh, and i don't know like, that's the thing it's like that's that's an elmore leonard thing the the criminals are smart but not like superhumanly smart they're not like fucking joker from the dark knight mm-hmm they're just like, you know, and I, I think that's even kind of lampshaded in Melanie's conversation. Like, Melanie is smart enough to see, like, uh, Odell's relative position in the universe, but it's not smart enough to realize that that doesn't make her a genius. You know, just the fact that she can spot the fact that he's not the world, a, a super genius criminal doesn't mean that she's uh-huh. smarter than him. Sure, yeah. Because she can't even read the temperature of a Robert De Niro. Yeah. Uh, spoiler, it's always hot. It's always <laughs> too hot to touch. It is, yeah. You don't ever want to fuck with Robert De Niro. Even when he's had nine rips off a bong. He's right. Six beers. That's right. He's a he, screwdriver. He hasn't touched marijuana since he got back from prison, and he can do ten <laughs> bong rips in a row, and he's, he's still not mellow enough for you to fuck with. Yeah, totally. Uh, not blaming the woman for violence against her. I'm just saying. The, the other just hilarious thing to me in this movie is when Sam Jackson lets his hair down, he takes it out of the ponytail. <laughs> yeah. It's somehow worse than the ponytail. Yeah. He, I mean, it's, it's like he's not bald, but it right. seems like he should be. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. Like the hair is too thin to actually cover the head. Like, even I, though I've never seen a skull cap made out of human hair, Yeah, but somehow Sam Jackson is wearing it. And, and then it just flows gloriously down to his mid back. It's yeah. Oh, it's bad. It's something else. It's something else. Sure is. Uh, let me ask you this. If you had the chance to walk away with half a million dollars, would you take it? I don't... I've always... I mean, I, I've, I've always said that I can be trusted with, like, up to a million dollars duffled up. Okay. That's... Because right. $500,000 in today, I don't know that I can I can be set. I can't just take off the Belize and, and that that's all they wrote. A million dollars? Don't ever duffel up a million dollars and turn your back around me. <laughs> what if it's... Because I fancy myself fairly intelligent and I might start... The wheels might start spinning. Right. <laughs> 
Yeah, that's the thing. And, and I'll be on the wrong end of a Michael Keaton drawn gun, I'm sure. But that's yeah. where the wheels would start spinning. Yeah, I wonder if you can get out and just get away. Like, can she go spin this 450 now? Or are the cops going to, you know, keep an eye on her for a while? They she don't trust spin. her. Like, that, this thing is like, um, it depends what kind of cop you got. Mm-hmm. You know, are you got like a Dean Norris, uh, Hank Schrader cop? Or do yeah. you got like, hey. I'm an ATF slash DEA, and I just want to get my bust, and I want to get my promotion, and I want to go on in my life. Like, am, 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 am I Michael Keaton? Am I going to fucking go to Spain and keep eyes on her and get do an Interpol right. bolo? Like, probably not. So you think she closed the book on this one well enough? I feel like that. I do too. Plus, the other thing yeah. is, like, I, everyone wanted to like her in this movie. Yeah. Like that's I mean, even Odell, like after like, you know, she she lowered the boom on him, she got instant credibility and respect. So everyone she met except for uh Melanie wanted to like her and kind of was rooting for her to succeed against all odds. So like yeah. I think that feeds into uh, I think Michael Keaton's more inclined to not because he just, you know, like, hey, I'm glad I'm glad you navigated this. You yeah. didn't get killed. And they got what they wanted. They got what they it. wanted, exactly. You know, she wasn't the target, Ordell was. So. Right. Um, I have one other question. When so it's implied here that Lewis knows Max Cherry somehow. Do you think he went he to the was office like the with bail? Sam in the first scene? He went to the office with Odell to bail the bailout uh Chris Tucker. Oh fuck, you're right. That's yeah, why. he's standing in the back and he, he says, You okay out there? Yeah. Says, yeah, fine. Okay. Yeah. Okay, totally. And I, makes sense. I, I think if you saw Robert Forrester once, you would remember him. And yeah, if why? I saw him again in the mall, I'd be like, "Nope, this is this is gone south." Not only that, but why did why did Max like acknowledge him? Yeah, uh, I, I, Max shouldn't even have been in the place. Yeah, I mean, I, that's the thing that's seen this movie only once. I don't want to say that's a huge plot hole because it could be that Jackie Brown was telling. Three different versions of the same truth. One to the police, one to Max, one to, you know, uh, Odell and his associates. So it could be that Max thought that this was all part of the plan. So he was just kind of given a friendly wave. But maybe that seems sloppy. Man, I'm really sloppy. Like if I'm Max, I'm I'm going into the fitting room and I'm planting a walkie there or something. Yeah, I'm sitting out my fucking car until. Pam Greer calls me and says, okay, it's on, go. Yeah, and if I'm Lewis, I definitely, when I see this guy... But the, the, the only thing is everyone had a little bit of the information. Like, if Odell had seen this, he would... Because he was already like, what the fuck with him being chummy at the mall before? Yeah. But Lewis didn't see that, and Odell did not tell him any of those misgivings, so he minded his thought. Hey, he, that's what he said. is like, hey, you know... Because they do also set up the fact that that's something that... Uh, Max does. He goes to the mall and watches a movie during the day every once in a while. So, like, 99 times out of 10, or 99 times out of 100, he'd be right about, like, he's just there with his wife or his girlfriend or seeing a movie or something. Yeah. Just that one time, he was working with Jackie Brown. It's true. All right. Um, uh, should we read a little bit more feedback and then uh, uh, say peace to this movie? Yeah. Okay. Spencer H., uh, this I'm only reading this because it's kind of entertaining. Said the uh, hey Aaron, the only reason I bought these shares is because I lost a bet with Drew from Indianapolis on the forums regarding uh, Game of Thrones. <laughs> okay, they had a bet where uh, if something had I don't want to spoil anything. If something happened to Game of Thrones, that he would he would um 
he would buy com- commissions for Drew. And if, if if he won, then Drew is going to have to get the last two commissions or last two shares of uh, There Will Be Blood. And we've done both of these movies now, so everyone won. We have. Uh, he says the Double Ds really fucked me over in that one, talking about the Game of Thrones showrunners. Uh, I will say, as a man who has been known to dabble in marijuana, I've always appreciated the scenes with De Niro and Bridget Fonda smoking on the couch. A lot of movies make smoking cartoonish or call a lot of attention to it, whereas in this movie, it feels completely natural and understated. It's just another great example of Tarantino's talent with dialogue. Uh, yeah, I agree. I always think it's mm-hmm. funny when they show a dude like smoke, like smoking weed, and then like it, it's like they dropped a tab of acid. Uh huh. Like like De Niro's just being kind of like stone stupid and having trouble following the play. That's that's much more of uh, an accurate depiction of what it's like. Yeah, for sure. Uh, Keith A, the opening song is Across 110th Street by Bobby Womack from the exploitation film of the same name. And it has been used quite often, yeah. most notably and most recently in a film uh, with a montage in Ridley Scott's American Gangster featuring Denzel Washington. Hmm. Uh, so that was cool. I did not did not know that. It's a, it's a really uh, – because I haven't seen American Gangster yet. It's a really smooth, good montage scene. It's great for watching yeah. Pam Greer glide through an airport. Oh, that's a – did you know that was a graduate ref, uh, homage? Uh, so I heard on the direct podcast, I think, uh-huh. at some Eric point, they talked about it. Yeah. Uh, I think they referenced the beginning scene of this movie in another movie's commentary. Right. Uh, that I was curious about, but I hadn't seen this movie, so I didn't want to go listen to it. It's interesting because it's like, uh, thematically and emotionally completely different in its usage, but, yeah. um, which is kind of a cool thing for Quentin Tarantino to play with. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's it. That's all the feedback we had um, submitted by all of our commissioners. Uh, once again, thanks to Stephen Sprague, uh, Spencer H., Libby Ross, Dr. Edible, Cellmouse, Brooks Rip. Do you think Dr. Edible knows what it's like to smoke weed? Oh, for sure. I think he does, too. Well, maybe smoke it? I'm not sure. I mean, I... I he probably would... knows what it's like to feel high. Okay, that's true. There's... But I don't know if he could spot fake smokers. That's true. He just he's he's all about his his PhDs in edible yeah edibology. <laughs> also, could be a she, could be a she. Could be Dr. I shouldn't, edible, I shouldn't yeah. gender presume. Yep. Uh, Brooks Riddle, Betamaric, Coco Two MC, prolific, prolific. This mm-hmm. Coco Two MC prolific commissioner never submitted feedback. Hmm. I don't think. Pretty okay. sure. Uh, no brains, all sadness. Uh, hope you can find some brains and happiness there. Martin Carlston, Eric Brown, uh, RJ Joan 2, and Keith A. Thank you once again for making this uh, movie happen. This is one of my favorite parts of Commission Podcast when I get an excuse to watch a film, a uh, highly regarded film that I haven't seen before. Yeah. So that was fun. Uh, thanks again, and uh, we will be back for I don't know what the next one is. Do you? I don't. Uh, our, our checklist says, oh, God, Twin Peaks. I'm intimidated Fuck by this one. me. I, yeah. I mean, you you got a problem with Lynch. Uh, and and this, this is, is the like, worst possible combination in my this, mind. This is like when God God revealed his glory to Moses. It's like we're yeah. only going to get to see the, a tenth of what of what makes yeah. this highly regarded and, and it's a mystery. And just I, the tip of Twin Peaks. And I, I, I don't but know it, but it's 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 timely because mm-hmm. the remake is about to, to come out. Right. So it might be an interesting springboard into discussion of that if we're able to <laughs> Uh, whatever. But uh, we got we got that coming to us, and then the Fugitive, nineteen ninety three. There That's we go. One of the first movies I saw in the f- that like was an adult movie. Okay. 
you yeah. know, like like it's you're, you're like I mean, it's kind of weird because it's pretty straightforward, like like it, thriller, but it has like adult drama in it, right? Yeah. Like the guy's wife is killed. It's I went it's and, very, and it's funny because the only reason I went to see it is because it's it's I love Han Solo and Indiana Jones, right? And then I think that's how it's like, oh my god, this one this has actually got plots and acting and yeah. So I'm kind of looking forward to seeing that because I haven't seen that in probably 15, 20 years, man. So yeah, that'll be a, a good long time. one. All right. Uh, so that's the upcoming commission slate. We'll see you back real soon for those.